Let's jump right in this morning to, to Luke seven eleven through 17. Our text for today says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was, was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Wow, what a, what a story recorded by Luke here uh, that just illustrates so many things. We're going to grasp a few out of it. Not only can, can Jesus radically heal someone, right, but just the way he goes about it here makes us think deeply about our, our own, like, practices with our daily life. So, so I can't wait to grab a hold of some of this stuff. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up in Gate. Does anybody know where Gate, Washington is here? Gate, Washington. So it's, it's Southwest Olympia, Washington address, tucked up against the, the Capitol Forest. And uh, it is in between uh, Southwest Olympia, like the forest, and Rochester and Oakville, Gate. Like there's like 10 of us or something that live there, right? It's this little tiny place. And uh, uh, our road that we lived on was, we called it our driveway. It was like a quarter mile long. And at the end of that, uh, that rock parish road that we lived on was railroad tracks. And they were, never operated these tracks. They connected to the tracks that they operated. But on these tracks, they would park the empty cars and store them forever. So as a kid, I remember we moved there when I was four years old. And, you know, we had all kinds of animals. And one of the animals that we had well, there were three boys in the home, so you'd call that kind of an animal, right, in its own right. But the animals were pigs we would raise and, 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 and eat, and we were poor, so we lived off the land. And uh, so literally, one of the things we did for food was we would go to those, those parked grain cars, and in the wood walls, like the grain would, be, would have like filtered itself into those wood walls when they filled the train from the top. And then they empty it out the doors, but in the walls is still a ton of grain. So we would go in there and we would bang against the walls and the grain would come down and, and we would sift out the good grain from like the dust. And we would make bread with the good grain and we would feed the pigs the slop, the dust. You know, we'd throw all that. And so that's like one of the ways we made bread as a kid. Doesn't this, this doesn't sound like the world we live in, does it? But that's what I did as a kid. So I got very familiar with trains. 
And kind of too familiar, if you would, three boys again, just a reminder. Um, one of the things we would do is we would walk all over. We would, uh, we would, we were very comfortable walking on train tracks, whether there was the risk or not of a car coming, and, uh, you know, train cars coming, and we would just like jump off the tracks maybe. I don't know if you saw the footage this week. A couple gals were on a bridge that had no side on it, and a train was coming, and they tried, the train can't slow down. <laughs> the train sl- tried to slow down, and these two gals had no option but to lay down in the center of the tracks. And believe it or not, they lived to tell about it. The train went right over the top of them. I just never, I knew that I could do that on a trestle. I just never wanted to have to. Uh, But we did. We just played around on the tracks. And one of the things I learned about trains, becoming comfortable with them and stuff, was if they were moving slowly, they were easy to board. You know, not saying I ever did that. Uh, And then the other thing I realized is that uh, they're easy, these powerful, powerful locomotives that we would count the cars and lose track. You know, hundreds of cars they'd be pulling with multiple engines. But I realized you could stop an engine with a nickel. You can take a nickel, and if the engine is at a standstill, you could take this nickel and just put it right in front of the engine, wedge it in there, And that engine cannot start. In no way, shape, or form is that train going to move forward. But if the train's already moving, and you take a nickel, and you put it on the track, and you get far away, protected by a solid object in between you and the track, when the train goes by, it'll flatten that nickel and shoot it out like a bullet. And, uh, And... and then you would have a very flat, shiny piece of used-to-be nickel that is no good at the store anymore. Not saying I ever did that either <clears throat> with different forms of money. But anyway, so we would, you know, I learned very quickly there's power in momentum. There's power in a moving object, especially very powerful moving objects, but how simple of an obstacle could stop such a powerful engine, even multiple engines, such a simple little tool. And in our faith, I don't think it's any different. It's pretty easy to stop our faith with the most simple little obstacle if our faith is not active, if we're not mobile, if we're not doing something, if we're not on the go. The smallest obstacle can derail us, can just really mess with our with our faith. And, uh, and so I think as Christians, we need to be aware of the power of movement. And I think we're going to discover that in this passage today. Give me an active new follower of Jesus, and they'll bear so much more fruit than a stagnant, sitting follower of Christ. In fact, if you're following Christ, you're always on the move because he's an adventurer. So Jesus was in motion here in our text today. It says that he was going to a town called Nain, and as he approached the town gate, as he approached, so he was moving, and, and I just don't see Jesus in this moment looking up, you know, there's a crowd following him, and there's a crowd coming out of the town mourning. I don't know if you've ever met 
a mother who's mourning the loss of their child, or you've been that mother, but it's not like a peaceful moment, right? It's very deep grief. And they're entering, they're exiting the town. Jesus is coming into the town, and I don't think he was like reaching into his cloak and pulling the hand out from last Sunday's service to look at the five steps you must do when approaching a grieving mother having lost her son and her husband. And you're going, you know, um, okay, step one, tell the woman to stop crying. No way is that step one. You know what I'm saying? Jesus was not using a five-step program and just wrote, quoting what to do when he was approaching the town. This is a beautiful picture of compassion and following the urge of the Holy Spirit that we're witnessing. Jesus was being sensitive and and, and flexible and, and giving a picture of the good news that Jesus is. Like, he can give life back. So Jesus being used for yet another powerful moment in ministry, not because of who he was, not because of how he did it or the steps he used to do it, but because of the spirit, the DNA that was within him and is within every one of us. He carried the gospel with him. The good news was in motion while he was in motion. You and I have the same spirit, the same culture in us, the same potential to be active as we're on our way about whatever we're doing in community. And something unique about this moment that Luke is painting, this picture he's painting, and it's kind of opposite of sometimes I'll I'll often challenge you, uh, those of you who've been here before, you will have heard me say, hey, you know, I'll talk about your circle of influence, your friends, your family, your coworkers, those you love, you know, and, and, and just realize the potential influence you could be in their life. But what we're seeing here is not that. This is a demonstration Jesus is showing his disciples and the crowd following of the potential impact you can have on a complete stranger in a good or bad season of their life, in that he desires for you and I to make an impact in the lives even of those we don't even know. And I think that sometimes brings with it some of the biggest impact in our life. That's why on missions trips we come back changed because we approached complete strangers with good news. But what if on our way through life in community we would learn some of the principles packed in here, would have ears that would hear, James did not know what I was preaching on today. Highly doubt he studied it and somehow hacked into the server and found my notes. But when he got up here, he prayed for us to have spiritual vision, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Having spiritual, being in tune, having spiritual vision while we're on our way in life, being active in community. What can God do through us in the lives of complete strangers if we'll just be guided by the Holy Spirit? I see three simple things here. There's a lot more than three, but I'm going to point out three of them. The first is vision. Jesus saw her, right? And he heard from God that he was supposed to go to Nain. Whether he made it to Nain, I have no idea. But he at least saw her, it says. And it's interesting. Luke points out that Jesus saw her. He was moved with compassion for her. The son was the dead one. 
Later on, he'll, he'll uh, be moved by the, the death of Lazarus, the actual, and he'll be moved by the dead person as well as the sisters. But here again, he sees her. He's seeing her, and he's moved. Jesus had enough vision to understand that the way to help the woman was to give her back her son. It's interesting. Jesus didn't go through the motions of some program again, and, and, and again, I just can't imagine walking up. I did a, I did a uh, memorial service last week for, for Ryan's grandmother in, in, in the backyard of his mom's house, and I would have never walked up to anybody <laughs> that was in the family and said, hey, don't cry, right? I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, I just can't, I can't imagine saying that. But Jesus said that because he's like, wanted, he got everybody's attention. Don't cry. And his heart. So it says, number two, heart. So he had vision and he had heart. His heart went out when he said, don't cry. His heart went out. I would, you know, I would put some eternal wage of some sort some wager, that he at least had the almost going to cry eyes. You know, when you get hit in the nose and you don't want to cry, but like your eyes water, that at least Jesus had that. But knowing how many times it says that he wept or was moved to compassion, I bet he might have even had a tear running down his eye as he said to her, don't cry, and made his way up to touch the boy. He was moved by compassion. What if we allowed our spirits to be so moved over people around us? What could, what could God do through us? So the final thing he did here is he touched the coffin. Now, at that point in time, seriously, you better have heard from God if you're going to go that far. You know, I am no way, shape, or form telling you guys, I want you to open the paper this week. You're going to look for funerals. This is the application, you know, turn your connection card over, you'll see the box. Check this box if you're going to invade a funeral and raise the dead. You better hear from God if you're going to do that. Uh, you know, that really better be the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't work, don't tell them you're from Open Life. If it does, okay, go ahead and share it. But, you know, it's just like, seriously, I once heard a preacher talking about, there's this old guy who used to to heal people. I've read books about Smith Wigglesworth. Don't know if you've ever heard that name, but he would punch people in the place of their affliction, and they would be healed, right? And so they would have like a gourd on their neck, and he would like, bam, and they would like spit it out and be well and live the rest of their days. Crazy stories, right? Well, I heard a preacher once say, man, you better have heard from God if you hit me where I'm hurting, because if it's not healed, I'm punching back, you know? So it's just... You do want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was so sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he touched the coffin and told the boy to raise. And the boy sat up and began to talk. And I've had opportunity to be in rooms where I'm praying for the sick who are supposedly dying. And it is awesome. When things turn around all of a sudden, you're praying for them, and they sit up and they go, I'm thirsty. I have a drink of water, like nothing ever happened. And I imagine this crowd, in a moment like that, of elation, they begin to praise and worship Jesus. But all of this would have been of absolute 
impossibility if Jesus was not on the move. If He was not obeying God in the first place, being active, being mobile, He was outgoing to Nain. He was doing something so that God, while He was in motion, could use His motion to glorify Himself. So Luke, the author of this book, right, is writing this book for a very wealthy benefactor who was funding the writing of the book. Luke's trying to prove the certainty of Jesus, that all these things happened, right? Well, he writes a second book called Acts for Theophilus again, and he's writing this book so that now they can hear the story of the beginning of the church. And one of the stories I love is by this guy who was selected by these disciples that we're reading about in Luke that are following Jesus. He was selected by them to help wait tables for widows. But as persecution broke out against the church, this guy, Philip, was scattered from all the other disciples, and they went all over to the different places and found themselves being used by God. And one of the stories is in Acts 8, and it sounds very familiar to this moment right here with Jesus. It says in verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. Gaza, not a place you'd want to be today, right? <laughs> That's, do not go down to Gaza, Philip, is what the Lord would be saying right now, unless you want to meet me very soon. But verse 27, he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up, sit with him. The eunuch was reading the passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Philip was just an ordinary volunteer in the church. And he's used in such a powerful way by God that this illustration, this story was recorded about something he did as just a follower of Jesus. Not as a, uh, an apostle, not as like a super pastor dude or an evangelist, just as a follower of Jesus, obeying the Holy Spirit. Again, we see vision. This time it's spiritual vision, right? An angel of the Lord speaks and says, go, and he heads out. Again, we see this, this moment that, it, well, it's kind of interesting when you think about what happened here. So he, he was told to go to the desert road. Like you could interpret that as, this isn't good. God's sending me out to the desert, right? 
okay, Holy Spirit, I'll just make my way to the desert. I guess I'm going to have a desert season in my life. And he could have very well been down on his way there. And what's interesting is it says he meets an Ethiopian eunuch. We discover who the Ethiopian eunuch is here. But then the Spirit's like, uh, Philip, what's up, Spirit? Right? I don't know how he answered him. But, and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit's like, uh, the dude you just met that took off, that's why you're here. Can you imagine that moment? He's like just meeting people as they go by the desert road, hanging out there, happens to meet an Ethiopian eunuch, goes by, and he's like, God, why am I here? Well, it, okay, you missed it, bro. Like he just went by. Because then he had to run to catch up. I just find that part of the story interesting. Because then Philip doesn't wait for instruction. Next, when he hears him reading the book of Isaiah, he initiates for the first time in the story, hey, do you understand that? But until then, he had to be, he was getting helps, right? He was like finding clues. I'd like to phone a friend. I'd like to phone the Holy Spirit. Why am I on the desert road? Right? It was in that moment that all of a sudden he was like, okay, I'm going to take initiative. So two moments of just blind obedience led to him finally taking some initiative himself. We're going to very much so be the same way in our faith. You're not going to instinctively walk into Starbucks tomorrow Hear the Holy Spirit say, go over to that table and sit down. And then happen to overhear a conversation that you can just minister to. You're not just going to do that all on your own. You're probably going to need some urging from the Holy Spirit. And then you'll learn to hear His voice and take initiative in the midst of being active in the faith. I don't know if that makes sense. but So here, he's, he, he has spiritual vision. Next thing is he has heart. And this time it's in the form of passion, right? I mean, he ran to the chariot. Maybe the chariot was kind of cruising along, but he ran. Like, it's kind of like David when he slays Goliath in Samuel. When, when he slays Goliath, he runs to the giant and cuts off his head. He didn't, he wasn't walking across the field singing, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am. That's not what he did. He like just ran. It's kind of a gross illustration. But so you're saying like, okay, you want me to hear the Holy Spirit and cut heads off. Boy, the applications are weird today. I'm going to a funeral, cutting somebody. Anyway, vision, heart. And he touched, he, he touched the life of this Ethiopian. We don't see an instance where he stepped up and, and then Philip placed his hand on the Ethiopian's shoulder. Follow the ways of Isaiah, my son. He didn't, we don't see that, but he spiritually touched the Ethiopian's life. Vision, heart, touch. All because of three key words that you see twice in this passage of Acts. He was on his way. It was on his way when the Lord used him. When God, here's the big idea today. When God whispers for you to go, even if you are called to a desert road, you best be on your way because it's when you're on your way that God uses you. It's when you're on your way that God uses you. It's been this way all throughout time. Listen to these passages. Genesis 32.1, Jacob also went 
on his way, and the angel of God met him on his way. Mark 15, 21, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. The person who helped Jesus carry the cross to Calvary was just on his way. He wasn't sitting still. He was on his way. He was doing something. Luke 8, we'll be talking about this in a couple weeks. A man named Jairus, ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. And she came up behind him, touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Jesus was just on his way. Luke 17, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between uh, Samurai and Galilee and, or Samaria, Samurai, I watched too much Kung Fu this week, uh, between Samaria and Galilee. I did go see Kung Fu Panda 2 at the theater, $1 movies. Great flick. Okay, anyway, uh, as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So both Jesus was on his way and the lepers, as they went, were healed. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 16.10, if Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, for he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Are you on your way? Where are you on your way to? And are you willing while you're on your way for God to whisper so you can be of help to those around you, even if they're complete strangers? Now we're talking crazy talk. Because that's way outside of the American comfort zone, isn't it? This week, Jennifer put a message, not to just point people out, Jennifer. Anyway, uh, put, uh, put a message on Open Life's Facebook page because she was driving by an incident and had compassion to ask for prayer for who knows who that was involved in that moment. What a perfect illustration of what is right packed inside this passage. You and I can make a difference in so many people's lives. We just best be on our way. We best well up. We best take 20 seconds of insane courage, just 20 seconds of insane bravery, and I promise something great will come from it. Great theology from Webata Zoo. It's truly that simple is that we would just do something. But if, for those of you who just need a little more convincing, four more thoughts for you, or five maybe. I don't know how many I have listed, but let's jump in. A few things you need to understand while you're on your way. One, you don't have to arrive before God can use you. We don't know if Jesus ever made it to Nain. 
Did he ever enter the city? No idea. But he was on his way. And God used him while he was. Did Philip ever make it to Gaza? No. He actually, we do know that he never did. But God used him in the desert while he was on his way. You may be lost in confusion as to what your direction and vision is from God and calling in life and all those big, big idea things and, and be God, I just, you're wanting to lock in on that before you allow God to use you, but guess what? He wants to use you during the journey of your faith while you're on your way. You never arrive. None of us in this room have arrived until we're in the presence of Jesus in heaven. Psalm 119, 105 is one of my favorite passages. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. It doesn't say, your word illuminates my destination. It says, no, it's a lamp. It provides enough, it's a, it's a candle. It provides enough light for the next step. We just got to take it and be on our way. God didn't show Philip while he was on uh, why he was going to the desert. He almost missed the stinking opportunity. God will give you His Word to get you to take one step after another on the path of life. He loves you right where you're at, but He'll always call us to go on our way and do something. Across the street and around the world, He wants to touch lives physically, spiritually, mentally, more of his vision, more of his heart, more willingness to touch the lives of others. That's his desire. Life is a journey, not a destination. Number two, you must have an, your eyes and hearts open. You'll have to add the why on your handout. Just keeping you on your toes. It's not a fill-in. It's just a misspelling. Anyway, so, um, but just, you know, you'll, you must have your eyes and heart open while you're on your way. Philip saw and heard the eunuch reading the book of Isaiah, and that allowed him to go, oh, hey, do you understand that? Right? Jesus saw the crowd and the woman. A few years ago, I was sitting in Covington Starbucks on their little patio that they have, and uh, right on the main road there in Covington, and and a beat-up minivan was cruising by with a megaphone out the window. And this chick was just screaming, repent or die. You know, the wages of sin or death, repent or die. And I was like, I just started to think, man, she was screaming really loud, you know. That was awkward. Could barely hear her. Only because I knew what she was doing did I understand what she even said. And I thought, man, those... She has no idea who's listening to her. She has no idea the context of their life. She was being seen or heard, I guess, but she wasn't hearing or seeing the needs to really like minister to people like Jesus is demonstrating here. God needs heartfelt believers on their way about life with open eyes, ears, and hearts. Jesus never stopped the crowd or saw the crowd with the woman in the coffin and started just screaming at her. He didn't say, 
Don't cry! If you die without me, you're going to hell! You know, he didn't do that. He didn't pick at the funeral, for God's sake. Wow, those people just, ugh, I could get mad at them. I am. But anyway, can you imagine? He wasn't standing there with the sign, he's not dead. He's not dead. You know, he wasn't doing that. He approached with love and compassion and laid his hands on the coffin and said, get up. We need to think about what we're doing. There's compassion involved here. We have to have open eyes and hearts. We can't just scream at the world around us and expect change to happen. Number three, you create the crowd present for the next miracle. People create crowds. And here's the problem. There are people not in the crowd. As we speak and are, are, are opening up the Word of God and are inspired and equipped to be active in our faith outside of here, in community, present amongst the lives of others, we have to reach out. We have to invite others into the same blessing and experience we're having because we create the crowd. Crowds don't just happen. Somebody is spreading the news so that the crowd is created. Somebody spread the news about Jesus raising a kid in a coffin and giving him back to his mother. The news spread of Jesus. Are we spreading the news? Because if we do, we'll create the next crowd. I asked our staff this week at staff meeting, I was like, what story did you share and how did you do it about open life? I mean, maybe that's a good question for you to ask yourself. What story would I share? If I was going to share open life with somebody, what story would I share? found myself this last week sharing a story about how we take offerings of all things. You never know where a conversation will go with somebody you're talking to. The church hurt them in the past in the area of finances, so talked church finances with them to help like ease that hurt in their past. You know, what can you, you never know. I mean, are you going to share the story about how we're giving 100% of the school supplies to a school? Are you going to share the story about how we're going to go on a missions trip to Indonesia? Or are you going to share the story about, I don't know, what's the story in your mind? What, what has shocked you lately and made you recognize the power of Jesus? Maybe it's something personal in your heart. Don't buy the lie that It's your only day off, so you have to sleep in and catch a rest. There'll always be another week. You never know when God is going to do something that will inspire you or transform your life, whether it's on Sunday or whether it's serving at an opportunity. Don't buy the lie. There'll be enough volunteers there. I don't need to come help at Bonnie Lake Days. No, maybe you're the life that will be asked to share a story about the church. Like, what's open life? Who's open life? And why are you guys out here? making bubbles and dunking people in water, you know, and, and you just have an opportunity to share. Who knows, maybe you'll be the one who provides the funding or comes out and hands a box of school supplies to a teacher and just opens their heart for life transformation. Don't pass that off on somebody else. Listen, because there may be a complete stranger God wants to use you to touch the life of. Make the most of every opportunity. We must be in the crowd at the moment of the miraculous to tell the story accurately. It's different when you're the one handing out the supplies. Worship team, you can come up. 
When you follow Jesus, crowds collide. Jesus has a crowd following him, rejoicing, and there's a crowd coming out of Nain, mourning, and those crowds collide and it turns into rejoicing. It'd be easy to be intimidated in the culture today because our crowd's not as big as the crowd coming out of Nain. And, you know, the crowd that's the world and the crowds that is people of faith, we're outnumbered. It'd be easy to be intimidated. But he who is with me is greater than he who is out there. The Holy Spirit. If we listen to the Holy Spirit, we'll approach the stranger. We'll have the courage to do something crazy that'll bring transformation into somebody's life, who will restore them, help them discover that God is with us. We just have to be all in. We just have to be willing to jump on the opportunities when they come to be in the crowd. It's different when there's one person wearing a, a serve shirt out at Bonnie Lake Days or during the school supply give or whatever, and whether there's 40 people in green shirts carrying school supplies for 450 kids and them just being moved by the heart of their church. When we create a crowd, something happens. In the natural, it's called critical mass. But spiritually, it brings praise to God. So final thought. When you're on your way, God will move you to give back that which the enemy has stolen to those who are desperate for a miracle. Jesus gave the son back to the mother. And there are people struggling with sin that's robbed them of marriages. There are people struggling financially. There are people that are down and they maybe just need someone to smile and tell them to have a nice day. They need somebody to pray for them. Maybe not walking up, excuse me, can I pray for you? I don't know you, but God just told me to. And I was in church this last Sunday. I know nobody's dead in the coffin, but can I touch you? You might really listen carefully. But anyway, you know, just, just realizing, though, that God can use you, and you could just pray for them silently, or maybe it will challenge you to go tell them that you're going to pray for them. But you can give somebody back that which the enemy has taken. I'm going to give each one of you a nickel. They're going to get passed out to you here. And I want you to put this nickel in your pocket or somewhere where it will bother you during the course of this week. Huge investment in people, a nickel, right? Anyway, no. This nickel, remember, can stop a freight train. But if that train is moving, there'll be no obstacle. I guess this nickel could represent courage for you, but I want you to put it in your pocket or somewhere on your person or to where you'll remember this week to listen to the Spirit's voice. Let this be your reminder, to listen to the Spirit's voice so that you'll get out of your comfort zone and affect somebody's life whom maybe you don't even know. I want to pray over this nickel. I want to pray over your life. We'll have an opportunity here in a moment after a time of reflection to to pray with those who would want one-on-one prayer down here to the left, but 
I want to first pray for you corporately before the worship team sings. God, I thank you for your word and the inspiration you give us through the text of Luke and that we have opportunity to study it. Lord, I pray for spiritual vision in every person's life. I pray for hearts that would be passionate and compassionate, that could impact the world of somebody who they've never met yet. That we would have eyes that would see and ears that would hear and minds that would know what to say and how to say it. There's no script to memorize. We just have to do what you tell us. And that we would be those courageous enough to just take 20 seconds of insane courage, walk across the room and pray with somebody. Maybe smile and tell someone to have a nice day. Maybe just be available to help a neighbor in need, someone we'd never introduced ourselves to. May this nickel be a reminder of that, just practically. But God, may you urge us to be on our way and active and listening to you while we're on our way. Not just here on a Sunday, but while we're on our way, you want to use us. We'll never be ready but we have to be listening and that your spirit will give us the courage to act. People are at different places in this room and on the back of their connection cards, they can respond here while the worship team plays as to what maybe they're feeling you urge them to do. But God, I just pray that you're gonna use us mightily. May you give us the courage, maybe even in this room, to step out and invite you into our life as Lord. If somebody in here is yet to confess you, Jesus, as Lord, is yet to choose to follow you, may this be the day. May they just say, Jesus, I want to follow you so that I can be motivated and inspired and hear your voice and make a difference in the lives of others. Help us to be world changers for your glory, both here and around the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and reflect on your response today as the worship team sings.